This is Ryan Parsons with Grow With The Bros, the number one recommended podcast by my mom. So be sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and definitely share it with somebody you think will find value in it. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy this episode. From touring musician to executive director, Danny's journey with the brothers that just do gutters. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Grow With The Bros. We are excited to have Danny Horbachuk on the show today. Danny has recently been promoted to executive director of the brothers that just do gutters franchise, and today we will be learning about his journey with the company past life experiences, and some of his perspectives on taking risks, trying a lot of different things, his accomplishments, challenges, and his new role as executive director. Welcome, Danny. Thank Welcome. you. Welcome. That was you. a mouthful. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> so why don't we kick this off with, tell us a little bit about your journey with the brothers at Just Two Cutters. Absolutely. <clears throat> so I started here as uh, the low man on the solutionist totem pole. Back in 2016, there were two two solutionists here prior to me that had had some time here. So I was, uh, again, I was a low man on the totem pole. Uh, I was getting kind of the scraps in the beginning. <clears throat> um, I remember talking to Ken about it, and he said, just hang in there, hang in there. So I did. Uh, I grabbed everything that those guys didn't want, which was a lot of the commercial work. Uh, I did really well with it. I've always enjoyed the, the long game. And it built from there. Uh, I spent two years doing <clears throat> two years doing sales. Then uh, Ken and Ryan approached me about doing the sales manager role. So I did that as a split role. I was doing solutionist full-time and sales management, uh, working with Mario at that point. And there were some other people on then as well. Uh, so I ran that for two years and then took over as the GM of Hudson Valley, the franchise-owned location. Uh, and that was for two years. So it seems like every two years, uh, you guys throw something at me here. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but it's been great. I've, I've been able to see, you know, with the exception of actually getting on a ladder, I feel like I've had a, my hands in most of the roles within the company at this point. That's awesome. I love it. I love your journey. I just think it's so cool to see, you know, because Kenny always said, people like, oh, are you, you know, what do you do? He's like, I'm an opportunity creator. And that's what, I mean, really fires us up is to create an opportunity. One of our biggest inspirations to continue to grow the company, because there becomes a certain point where, you know, you're growing it for you in the beginning, like as an owner and you're starting a business, but there, there's this tipping point where you get to a point, you're like, I really don't need to grow this anymore. Like it's at a good spot or it's at a good income, but people like you make it fun to continue to grow because then you don't hit a ceiling. And then there's another opportunity for you. So that that really inspires me. And someone like you makes it very pleasurable to just continue to grow, expand our vision, and see your vision expand. I and that's the danger that. too, right? About business. If the owner hits a ceiling, uh, that's when you have turnover because the people that are below the owner, they're going to hit a ceiling. And if they have more capacity to do things like you, uh, you're either going to be stuck in a job where you're like, become start to become miserable because there's no more opportunity and then you start or you start looking elsewhere because you've hit the ceiling yeah. so uh, that's what i love about business and creating opportunity for others and then also having others having the same mentality on your team where you know you're not afraid to create opportunity for others either that's just that's just uh next level stuff right well there. i think <clears throat> you hit it right in the head there too up until a certain point you know and not that you don't care about other people because obviously we all do <clears throat> but you need to see, it seems like you need to hit a certain point before you really, you can sit back and go, all right, what can I do for other people now? 
uh, you have to personally hit a certain level. And I don't feel like I hit that level till I joined this company, you know, and as the growth I experienced here, I started understanding more about like that, like, all right, I'm getting to a point now where I can try to do more and more for others, you know, because you guys have done for me, it's brought me to another level, which has opened that door up for me. And that was, that was huge for me. Cool. Very cool. So what inspired you to take on the role of executive director? Um, the challenge, quite honestly. I mean, uh, I, I very rarely will say no to things. I like to try as many things as I can. You know, uh, as you can tell by my, my history of what I've done, I, I just, I like new experiences. I like trying new things. I don't like to say no, especially if it's outside my comfort zone. I typically, I will say yes immediately and worry about the consequences later. Um, I'm writing this down, by the way, because uh, there's some things I need. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I, I truly believe that life starts outside your comfort zone, and that's really where you need to, you need to live, because otherwise you don't really get that growth, and it's been that way for me. You know, it's funny, I always consider myself conservative, you know, in, in the way I handle things, but I, looking back on my life now, I realize that I, I took a lot of risks and I tried a lot of things that were outside the norm, you know. Um, <clears throat> between starting out as a musician, there were no guarantees there. I didn't go to college. I don't have a degree, no music degree. I literally just said, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to find out how I'm going to get there. So I started teaching music and then I started, you know, uh, said, all right, well, I'm going to become a studio musician. There's really, there's no guidebook on how to get there. So it was just a matter of figuring everything out along the way. And that's kind of how it's been my whole life through that and into here where, you know, Ken talked to me very early on about, you know, when I was still doing sales about the sales manager role. I'm like, wow, I've only been here like a couple of weeks, you know. Um, and then that, you know, that came to fruition. And then I remember him talking to me about these other roles. And as it kept coming on, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Every time he would say something like, would you be interested in this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I have to admit, I do let the cat out of the bag a little bit too early sometimes. Oh, yeah. But, uh, and that's all right. Always, I have to ca- clean always, up all the cat litter. That's <laughs> all right. It, it always seems to work out because Ryan's always there to clean things up. And, yeah. You know, it's good. Well, you know what, though? It, it uh, For me and, and my personality, it works. You know, always seeing, always seeing down the road because that's that's what I like. I like that high, that high view of what's coming and what potential is, and you know, it, it definitely drives me. Yeah, it drives me crazy too. <laughs> uh, you know, the day I think you were promoted to general manager, you're like, oh man, this is awesome. Ken's like, oh, this is nothing. Someday you're going to be the CEO of the franchise, and I was like. <laughs> Ken, that was actually prior. Ken and I had discussions before I moved into GM. It wasn't actually. even, <laughs> and I, I think, wasn't even in the role yet. I was like, dude, let him like get good at this job. He's like, ah, oh, it's be fine. I didn't and then have Ken an office yet. Goes back to Texas. <laughs> you know what? It always works though, because I've done it for so many other people. And really, what it does, it really unmasks, you know, how hungry somebody really yeah. is for something, and it gives them something to strive for. So, well, I think also, I think, what, it, I think it works for me, and yeah. it's worked for the company no, pretty well so far. It has. So, and then it lets me pick apart Ryan stuff. Like, what do you not want to do? What can I take from you that, you know, so yeah. hopefully. And that's been cool too, because, you know, Ken, I mean, our personalities, is, especially in leadership styles, like, you know, Ken is, he has an idea and he gets it off his chest and he wants to put the right person in the, in that place immediately. I'm the one that holds on to things way too long. And it's been really cool to try and like, as I'm trying to evolve as a leader and things, I'm like, wow, I, I've got to give things away so much faster. So, you know, someone like you, who's constantly just like, okay, Ryan, I know, I know we're talking about like a year from now, but what would six months look like? I'm like, what? What about three months? So it's been really cool. Before we move on, you said something really awesome. And I think it would be like, this is like a, 
a clip or an excerpt, you know, but life starts outside your comfort zone. I think that is awesome because when you said that, it reminds me of some, one of the things that we say around here a lot is you have to be replaceable to be promotable, right? And I believe that you have actually put yourself in a very uncomfortable position many times because you want to get to the next level. But in order to do that, you had to train your replacement and it put you in limbo, I'd say at least twice. Could you just describe what that's like? Well, normally it would be it would be a scary situation. And then quite honestly, in the beginning, it was scary. But the longer I've been here, knowing how you guys approach things and how you do things, it, it doesn't it's not a scary situation. Because the anymore. first time was Mario. Yeah. So you literally had to stop. You were the top salesperson. You had to you started to give away some of your things yeah. in hopes to become the sales manager. It put you in a vulnerable spot. Well, it was, Mario was a killer. It was a slow process, too, on that, that move over. So, <clears throat> I mean, at that point, we had a, a rough year. The estimates were a little tight that year. And I can remember distinctly not knowing I, I don't want to lose Mario because I know where his strengths are. I can see it. And going to, uh, to the call center and talking to Karen and telling her, hey, listen, Mario's, he's light this week on leads. Clear my schedule. Give him everything on my schedule to carry him through. You know, so there were and times. And you were still commission-based sales. Yeah. This was not yeah. like you had a manager salary. No, no, no. I was I was straight commissions with a, a small base, um, but I knew that uh, Mario was going to play a big role going forward in here. So I would literally go in, and he didn't. He wasn't aware of this literally until, literally, like maybe two, three weeks ago. No way. Yeah, he just found out about it. Oh, that's um, awesome. So it was, but it was about making sure to keep the team strong and the, the team on path because I, I know. You know, you hit bumps in the road, but things are going to normalize. You know, it's a roller coaster at times, and you just you go for the ride and you put the work in, and, and it'll it'll pay off in the end. You know, I Love just it. finished. Uh, well, I'm in the middle of reading this book by Vishen Lakahani, and um, it's not a talks, real name. Yeah, it's a real name. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real dude. But anyway, in the book, and uh, he talks about um, Richard Branson, and uh, he asked him the the billion dollar question. You know what is it that makes you so successful? And he says that he said right away, just came right out and said, it's getting the right people in the right places, casting the vision for them, and then trusting them and get the heck out of the way. And that's, you know, and I, and I, that's what I've seen manifesting too with all the stuff that we have going on and, and that we've done over the years is that that is, is, that means a lot to people when you yeah. when you give them the responsibility and if they're the right person they're gonna do things much greater than you know I could do in 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 positions and that's been the best thing that I could do is just get out of the way of people you know that's why I moved to Texas you know that definitely got me out of the way yeah <laughs> there's not more out of the way than Texas well, you know I remember having closer a, now a discussion with uh, Andrew my coach. And he was talking about, well, what are, the, what are the boundaries look like in your position? This is the last position as a GM at Hudson Valley. What do the boundaries look like? I'm like, what do you mean boundaries? He's like, well, where are your limits? I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Limits. We're limitless. He goes, uh, <laughs> well, at company. what point do you have to go to Ken or Ryan to make a purchase or do something? I'm like, that's a good question. He's like, why do you say it like that? I'm like, well, I just bought five box trucks and told Ryan after we ordered them. He's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, no, there, there's a, a ton of trust here, and it's because... It's either trust or we just don't know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I would never do the wrong thing, and we had had many discussions up till that point, but yeah. uh, it was just interesting to, to hear that, and, and for me, it was an eye-opener, because when you see something every day, you can kind of 
lose a vision of it a little bit, not lose a vision, but I guess uh, take it for granted, yeah. you know, and I guess I kind of took that for granted when I realized how much trust, you know, and Andrew was like floored. He's like, wow, there's a lot of trust there. <laughs> so. That's awesome. Can you uh, tell us uh, any memorable moments from your time here? <laughs> so back in 2016, I think it was like April I started. Okay. <clears throat> and again, like I said, there were two solutionists here that were super thrilled that I was coming on board. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I remember uh, my training. <laughs> so Ken takes me out for training. And uh, I'd known Ken much longer than I'd known you at that point for te from teaching Hunter lessons. He'd come to the house all the time. So we go out, and he's like, we're going to go measure a job. It's uh, for a charity. It was for the, the rail trail. So right. I forget who, what the organization was, but it was gutters on the back of a building. So we go down there, and I had my shirt, and I had my wheel, and I had everything. I'm all ready to go. I'm like, this is my training. It's going to start right now. <laughs> Next level. We get there, Ken walks behind the building and yells back, 32. I'm like, 32 what? <laughs> He's like, oh, draw a line and write 32. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I drew a line and write 32. I'm like, all right, I'm like, all right, here we go. This is it. He's like, all right, come on. And we went back to the truck. <laughs> and uh, we went out to get a bite to eat. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> we go back to the office, and I'm staring at a blank piece of paper with a line and a number. Oh, that's hilarious. And I have no idea what it means. So I'm like, Ken, what do I do? He's like, I got to jump on this call. So just figure out what you need for parts. You know, we got to do this and this. And he gave me a couple pointers. And he got distracted when I asked him about, you know, what about no, the hangers? I have never seen Ken get distracted. <laughs> this is ridiculous. He said, what about the hangers? And I don't know if I said it or he said it, but somehow it came to multiply the length by 1.5. So I multiplied. I put everything together. I, I'm, I'm proud of it. It looks great. This straight line looks amazing. <laughs> so I hand it to Gabby, and Gabby looks at it and goes, what is this? I'm like, that's my diagram. She goes, it's a line. I'm like, no, it's a gutter. She goes, why do you have way more hangers than you need? You, she goes, you have more than one per foot here. I'm like, well, Ken told me to multiply by 1.5. She goes, no, it's divide by 1.5. <laughs> but we oh. sat down, worked it out, and I literally, that day, I went on my very first estimate, talked to Ken before I left, pumped me up, went out, and I won the first one on the spot. Wow, that's awesome. So for anyone thinking about joining the brothers at Just Two Gutters as a solutionist, our training has gotten way better. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's actually world class, but it started somewhere. But that's because I'm not involved anymore. And <laughs> I, I never say that might I, have I, to do with I, the I never, success. I never claim to be a multitasker either. <laughs> no. I, I'm definitely not. Let's hop into a little bit of your, your history. You have like, you're, it, I continue to find out things that you have done and are interested in. You are a man of many talents and interests. Uh, so talk a little bit about the things that have shaped you into sure. who you are. <clears throat> so like I said earlier, I, I've kind of always taken an unconventional path. Um, <clears throat> you know, my family is very, my father grew up on a farm up around here. So he was very, you know, uh, old school. Um, my mother, normal nine to five day job. So when I went down the whole route of wanting to be a musician, it was completely foreign to them. Like that, that's not a job. That's, you don't do that for a living. And uh, that just drove me even more. I had, you know, people at all the time that would tell me, uh, you can't do that. You can't do that. And that's my favorite thing to hear from somebody because all that is is fuel. So <clears throat> I started learning pretty late, actually, for musician standards. I started at like 16 years old. Um, most of the guys that I toured with in the past recorded with were guys that were starting at, you know, five and six years old, learning piano and other instruments. 
I was never formally trained. Uh, I started at 16 and literally put a band together in high school within a few weeks and, and started doing gigs in under a year. Wow. So I would be <clears throat> going to school during the day and going out and playing clubs at night. Um, and it was my parents were unbelievably uh, lenient as long as I was in school. I mean, I, I literally remember nights coming home at four in the morning, wow. you know, and uh, getting up at six and going to school. But I knew if I wanted to do that, I had to, wow. I had to do the school thing. So I did it. I passed. I got out of school. And then I continued doing music. And uh, I just, I liked the challenge of it. You know, everybody talks about the art, the art, the art. And looking back on it now, I realized I enjoyed the the business side of it. And I enjoyed the, the concept of, it's like an us against the world type thing. The mm. four or five guys or girls you're in a band with, you really feel like a tie to that, which is the same feeling I get with this company. So I think that's why it was such a natural fit. So I did that right up until I was uh, 32, around then. Um, I was very fortunate. I had certain goals I wanted to hit to feel like I completed it. Like growing up in the 80s, MTV was a big thing, you know, and the whole, that whole idea. So I was able to get a video on MTV. I was able to tour internationally. You know, I had uh, unbelievable sponsors that supported me to this day. I'm still blown away, you know, at the, the level of support that I got from different companies out there, from clothing companies to uh, guitar companies, amp companies, just sending you anything you could need for free to promote their product. So it was really, that was an eye-opener for me that if you do the right thing, everything is relation, all relationship-based. You do the right thing for people, you treat them right, they treat you right. Mm. So that was kind of a, um, a big lesson for me there. Then in my early 30s, <clears throat> I had never planned on having kids. Uh, my wife and I was not really on our radar. So my sister, Mine either. <laughs> <laughs> my sister had twins and uh, <clears throat> I'll never forget, you know, seeing them and hanging out with them. And, and at the same time, Jen and I came to a realization that, uh, you know what, maybe we want to do something different. And it was at that point that I knew that my music career was done. Wow. Which was scary. Because uh, I Just would the be, thought of about, like about having kids. Well, yeah. I mean, I would, I would literally leave home. I'd leave the driveway to go out on tour, hug my wife, and tell her I'll be home in three months. Stop. Yeah. Wow. So you'd be gone for long stints. Um, and I couldn't imagine the concept of trying to raise a child and have to reintroduce yourself quarterly. Oh, my gosh. So that was pretty much the at the time that said, then, this is it. You know, if we're going to do this, I need to figure out a whole new path in life. And I was doing well with music. I was getting lots of offers. I was doing fantastic studio gigs. I was making great money. But I wasn't fulfilled, hmm. you know. Um, and and if you're not fulfilled, you find ways to to find fulfillment, and they're not always the best and the healthiest out there. And I recognize that, and I saw that. So I got out at the perfect time. Um, I got to see a, a lot of great things, and I got to see terrible things. People that didn't get out in time that you know passed away mm. and did the wrong things. So getting away from it then was perfect for me. Um, so I got home. I took a day job. Uh, Still very friendly with the, the guy I worked for. It was a fantastic guy, great family, but it wasn't a healthy environment. There was a lot of struggles there, and I needed something. I, I They weren't giving me the room to buy into the company, like, you know, really dig in. So I started racing motorcycles. At, well, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think oh, I read oh. it in a book somewhere. This is step two. Step two. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah, again, no stepping outside that comfort zone. I had no history. I didn't grow up with dirt bikes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So at 32, 33, I went out and bought a big K1 
camper race trailer. I bought a couple motorcycles and I started racing. That's ridiculous. Um, so I did that for a while. Uh, same thing. I found the guys that were the best in the area. I got friendly with them and I would get in, I got into the clubs where they trained at and worked with them. And I was able to win an amateur title doing that as well at, I think I was 34. Um, I loved it. It was great. I'd never been a sports person growing up. I was always into the music. So the competition side really sparked something in me. I'd never had that before. Uh, really enjoyed it. It was great. Uh, woke up in the hospital one day and realized maybe I don't have a long-term career in that. <laughs> uh, so after the surgeries to, to rebuild my soul, uh, shoulder, uh, I started reevaluating. I kind of dipped my toes back into music locally a little bit, but it wasn't the same. Um, the idea of I've already achieved a certain level in that, I'm never going to go further than that because I don't want to, kind of left it hollow feeling for me. Mm. So then Ken walks into my life, talks to me one day and says, I think you'd be a good solutionist. I'm like, yeah, I think I would too. Wait, what's a solutionist? You know, <laughs> and he said, oh, well, sales. I'm like, no, no, I'm not a sales guy. I would never be a sales guy. He's like, ah, why don't you come down? So I came down to the office and met everybody and, and really the whole concept of what it was and how it worked. I don't know what it was. It was scary to me but it appealed to me. And I think when things are scary to me, they draw me in, you know, it's cause it's something new. It's something I haven't done before. So that really drew me in. And then the whole concept of business was so new to me because I'd never went down that road. This mm. is something completely new to me that I, I quite honestly, I didn't think was available to me. I don't have a college degree. I didn't go down that road. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh no. Oh, well, sorry guys. I got to get <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't go down that road. It was really of no interest to me at that point. I was still trying to find myself. It took me till my early to mid thirties to really find myself, I guess. Um, but the way that you guys have shared that and, and, and worked with us on stuff like that has really been an eye opener and it's made me appreciate the business side of things. And the nice thing with business is there's so many different ways to step outside your comfort zone, even here. It's been incredible. Like I've done some stuff that some of the speaking classes and things like that I took, I would never have thought I would have done that 10 years well, ago, five years ago. Let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, you're somebody who, I think in the beginning, we were presenting you opportunity, right? You were just happy, you know, you're moving up in your career, you sold the most amount, uh, you hit a record, I think it was like $1.6 million in, in sales in one year. Um, and then Ken casting vision, I think kept you going, but then there was a switch. There was a switch be between us necessarily casting vision and then you like wanting to do more. I remember you came up to me like, Ryan, there's a class. It's a little bit pricey, but I want to get better. at public speaking. Can I take it? Yeah. And what'd we say? Absolutely. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, uh, it, it became evident to me. I think it had never really been on my radar and was sitting in San Antonio at um, one of our conferences. I remember watching Ken speak and just being so blown away at not only what you were saying, but how you were saying it. And there was just something there in the way that you presented the material. You let things breathe when you're talking. You leave spaces in there. And to me, that seems so intimidating. It was always about, you know, throw out as much information as possible. Don't leave gaps because that gives somebody a chance to respond. You know, it was like taboo. I didn't want to go there. But watching you do it, it was so powerful. And then I remember coming back <clears throat> and sitting through some of our Meet the Team days um, and watching Ryan speak. You guys are both incredible speakers, but you have different approaches. And then watching Brandon speak and Mario speak. 
And I really, I started honing in on a lot of that and, and seeing where the gaps were that I needed to, to get better at. And with the, uh, the, the carrots that Ken was dangling in front of me, like you, this, and you can do this and you can be that. I'm like, well, if I'm going to do these things, I need to, I need to make myself better in a lot of different ways. So that was the start of it. And I reached out to, uh, to Cornell and took a class through them. And it was, <laughs> it was so far outside of my comfort zone. Tell, tell about refused. that one thing you, I didn't know you took this like a year ago, right? And yeah. then you just told me one of the exercises you had to do. So the whole thing was executive presence and it was like how to, to build up your confidence and, and how to um, get your ideas across to the, the audience. So one of the things they made you do was <laughs> quote Shakespeare on a sidewalk in a crowded area. So here it is. I'm outside in front of a shop right or something like that with my daughter filming on an iPhone. And so I'm, there is film. <laughs> there is film. Okay. Proof of, I'm quoting Shakespeare <laughs> in front of ShopRite on a Saturday at like nine o'clock in the morning. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> Your local one or did you go way out of town? No, I did local. Oh my gosh. Go big or go home. That's wow. hilarious. But yeah, it was different things like that to really, to get you out of your comfort zone. And it was funny. The instructor said one of the biggest things, he goes, I can tell you're from New York before I even read your resume, just watching your video. He goes, you talk way too quick. So learning how to slow down. And, and that was, uh, I still have a lot of work to do, but it was, it was big. And yeah. it was the, the lead that you guys gave me to try to find things like that. Grab any opportunity you can. And I've continued to do that and I continue to grow. I love that. Yeah. And it, it, when I think of like, formal education compared to self-education, I will pick somebody with that is hungry for self-education over somebody that has had a formal education every time. Because uh, a lot of times just because somebody has a degree behind their name, and, and that's not everybody, there, there's people that go to college that are hungry to learn still, but but typically that's it. You know, they, they got their degree and now they're going to do whatever it is they do. And then, you know, uh, but uh, there's one quote I really love about that is uh, formal education will make you money but self-education will make you a fortune. And I don't think it means it in the sense of monetary means, but it, it, it's in who you, as you self-educate yourself and continue to learn, and that's part of who you are, and that's what Brothers Gutters is all about. Um, that's what uh, makes things become great uh, because you're becoming a great individual. That allows greatness not just to happen for you, but it but it also bleeds over into everybody else that you're uh, impacting and 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 creating opportunity for as well. Agreed. <clears throat> I've seen such a change. Um, I don't even know that I saw it at first. I felt it, I guess, but I'll never forget early on when my daughter came up to me uh, when I started working here, and she just made a comment that was so like impactful to me. She's like, "You just seem so much more happy. You seem, you know, you seem more." She, she couldn't put the words into it back then, but now talking to her, it, it was confidence. Wow. You know, it was confidence, it was happy, and, and when you're confident, you're happy. You know, you're, you're not scared of things, you don't have that fear, and I've seen what it's done for me, and I can see it now bleeding from me to her as well. You know, she's, she's gaining that as well, so it's, it's been big, and it's, it's addictive. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's just been fun to see the different you know, your evolution and your, your growth as a leader. Um, and I remember, I don't know if it was a couple of years ago or whatever. Um, and I, I think I challenged you to, you know, what are you, how have you improved? What new knowledge do you have? What new things have you learned? Because, you know, as leaders, we have like a, a well, 
right? Yeah. And you've got your expertise and you have the things that you know. And when someone comes to it for advice, you go to your well and you, you give it out. Mm-hmm. But at some point, there's nothing in there anymore that's new. And I, I remember, I don't, you might remember the conversation, yeah. but I feel like it was a pivotal point for you. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, you were talking about the, the concept of the well and um, I, I just reflected back and I'm like, you know what? I don't have anything new to offer. And it felt weird to, to come to that realization. Like, I'm just saying the same things over and over. I read some books, I did some stuff, and, and I'm, I'm rehashing that. But I was basically, at that point, I was only spitting out stuff that what people were giving me, I was holding on to and, and throwing it back out again. So I realized that, yeah, your well does run dry, you know, and you need to, you need to dip back in and refresh it so you can share more with people. So that was huge. Got to dig deeper. Yeah. That's it. So we're going to go back into the professional stuff. So what sort of challenges? I mean, you went from, you know, sales to sales management. Now, general manager. Yeah. And I, I left you with a little bit of a mess. So in in the years leading up to the franchise, so Ken and I had this vision for the franchise and we got it off the ground. We had, you know, maybe a dozen or so franchisees and I was still the general manager for New York, right? So I kind of... You know, I looked at it like a flywheel. If you I could were? just, yeah, I would just touch, you know, every two weeks we'd have a, a management team meeting. We had a field supervisor, uh, a, a sales manager and, and, a, and a super awesome admin, yeah. you know, but we didn't have any real leadership. And I remember we were like stale. We were probably at three million for three years. And, uh, and it was good, but we were building the franchise and, and, and things like that. And I think it was probably three years into it, as far as Ken saying, can you, you know, let, why, don't, why don't you have someone else do it? You're, you're killing yourself. You're running that. You're building the franchise. And I just like, I used to hold on to things way too long. But eventually I listened and, uh, and you were ready, probably more than ready. And you took it on. And so from a stagnant company that was basically doing the same thing over and over and getting the same results, you know, the good and the bad. Yeah. You know, we knew our demons, we knew all this stuff. And now you are tasked with, and we did have the expectation it was going to grow. Oh, we yeah. didn't expect it. I'm like, no, just keep it like this. It's like, no, no, no. I've been stunting the growth. Get it to the next level. Like, what was that like? Um, <clears throat> it was tough. I, I had inner struggles even outside of that. You know, I remember sitting in that office back there going, what am I here for? You know, I, I really struggled in the beginning with understanding my worth in that position. Prior to that, I could finish a day and look at my iPad and go, okay, this is what I brought to the company today. I made X amount of dollars for the company. There's my value. <clears throat> so once I hit that GM role, I didn't have that. I was literally going home at the end of the day, scratching my head, like, where am I bringing any value to this? Mm. How, am I, how am I becoming or making this a better company? So I really struggled with that for the first couple months. And, and anybody that knows me, I will talk about my struggles openly. You know, I... It's so I think Ryan was the one that told me to start journaling. <clears throat> and I literally I blocked out every hour of my day and I wrote down what I did in that hour, whether it was talking to Karen in the hallway about something going on or, or meeting with one of the guys and speaking to them. And then I kind of really <clears throat> started to see an outline of what I was doing. And it only then did I start seeing what the value looked like. So coming into it, we we had a, a big goal. Uh, we ended up going from, I think it was 3.1 million, you know, to our goal was just shy of four and a half million dollars. So that's a big jump. 
Um, it required a lot more people. It required a lot more vehicles and machines. So we, those are those five vehicles. Yeah. Well, it was only supposed to be four until the motor died in one of them. So we added the fifth just for good measure. Why not? But yeah, <clears throat> trying to get people on board um, was tough. I mean, you you would you would get their verbal buy-in, but did you really have their buy-in? I mean, when they're sitting comfortably at $3 million and now suddenly you're going to tell them you want them to stretch to get an extra $1.5 million more, you know, half. You want half of what you've done on top of what you've been doing. That was a struggle. <clears throat> um, and that was a struggle that literally went on day to day for 365 days. I mean, it was, it was tough. There was yeah. a, a lot of uh, hard moments. I think at one point Ken said I should probably write the second uh, edition of Crucial Conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so there was, and that's there was, what I appreciated too, is that, you know, there were so many conversations I avoided as a leader, some of the things that I had to do and I, I didn't do and I should do. And as soon as they came to light, you're like, okay, I'll be right back. Got to make a phone call. I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God he's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to push things off if I can avoid doing it. I'd yeah. rather get it done. Why lose sleep over it? <laughs> and, and typically when I have a conversation like that, it's more about, you're presenting data. You're, you know, it, it's not personal. Um, although yeah. some people try to take it that way, I've tried not to. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if we've parted ways with people or things have happened, I've always tried to maintain a relationship and I always try to help them beyond here. And I've told that to guys in the GM role. If you're not happy here, let me know. I will help you try to find a job that you'll be happy in. Yeah. You know, so I, I want to make sure people are are happy and good. But going back to what you said earlier, <clears throat> yeah, it was just a lot of, uh, a lot of essentially micromanaging in the beginning to, mm. to keep things on, on track, and uh, which is foreign for me because I don't like to micromanage at all. I like to get people in a position that they're comfortable and they're capable and let them run with it. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, uh, there was times you had to step back in, and uh, I didn't enjoy those times as much, but at the end of the day, we had a big jump. You know, We didn't, didn't quite hit our 4.5. Uh, we came in at, at about four and a quarter. But it was still, I'm still proud of that. Like I said, it was, you know, we jumped $1.2 million in a year. Wow. Wow. So I want to hear a lot about your, your new role like for the, for the last portion of this. But I just want to know, how did you pass it off? How did you leave it? I know how you found it. That's my fault and I apologize. <laughs> you know, but how did you leave that? And, and then we'll want to talk about what you're doing for the franchise now. Sure. <clears throat> so leaving the GM role... Um, I created what was called a bus plan. We talked about it. And the whole concept of that is what happens if I step out the front door today and I get hit by a bus and killed? So this was a notebook essentially of everything my replacement would need to know on a day-to-day basis. So I literally, I journaled out what every day of the week looks like. You know, the first Thursday of the month is this. The second and third Thursdays are this. Um, I put in all the contact information for different people, uh, uh, the landlord and stuff like that, people you'd have interactions with. Where to find with. things in your computer. Exactly. You know, show them where, where you find this, where you find that, who would give you this information, go to this meeting. You don't need to bring anything, but these are some of the key points you're going to be looking for in that. So I tried to detail it as much as possible. When I left the sales manager's role, I felt really good. You know, I had worked for a while with Mario on that, so he understood what it was about. And again, I'm in the building. But the, the idea is to give somebody enough information where they're comfortable going forward on their own and knowing what to do. So with the GM role, it was the same thing. It was literally just documenting all that stuff uh, that you would do day to day, as well as uh, you know letting them know who to get what information from. Any uh, tips while we're talking about 
the general manager position. We have a lot of franchisees who are getting involved with uh, Brothers Gutters and wanting to hire GMs right out the gate and, uh, you know, acting in a semi-absentee role. Uh, what challenges um, do you think um, that they could avoid that um, maybe you went through uh, in a startup? Well, I mean, <clears throat> the biggest thing is just to realize that it's it's a big expense to, to come out of the gate with a GM. It's a big expense, but you need to make sure you have the right person in place because you don't want to you don't want a big expense for low return. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to make sure you have the right person there and they're doing the right thing by you and your business. Um, and that to me, that's the biggest thing: making sure it is the right person. They have the now, right morals. Right person. Okay, morals. <laughs> what else that you could? Uh, recommend as far as what the right person looks like uh, for somebody who's looking to do that? To me, the right person is they've got to be a, a team player. Um, they got to be open and honest with stuff too. I mean, there were times that <clears throat> things weren't going the way I wanted them to go, but I still talked to Ryan about them. You know, I, you can't have somebody that's going to hide stuff and, you know, push stuff under the carpet where you don't know about it till it's a, a burning fire. You need somebody who's willing to to jump in with both feet if there's an issue and attack it head on. Don't try to push it off and hide it. Um, what I came to realize in, in doing that journaling, my role in that GM was really about moving big rocks for people, helping them, you know, assisting them on the way to, to get their big rocks taken care of. Uh, and, and that was probably the hardest thing to understand at first. And it took me, it was my second year, I remember coming to Ryan, I think, and I'm like, oh, my God. It's been a year, but I know what I'm supposed to do now. <laughs> That's why <clears> we're going to promote he's you. like, yay, I'm glad it took a year. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was that moment realizing that, you know what? These aren't my big rocks, but I can help. I can help people get those out of the way and get this to the next level. And that was really, that was really it. So you need somebody who's attentive. They, you have to have constant communication with your team. I would talk to every member of the team. I didn't know most of the installers before I got in that position. Now, some of them I might know more than I want to know about them. <laughs> no, so, and to add to that, uh, being that you were in the GM role, what are some of the things that as if you're working for a franchise E mm-hmm. as a GM, what are some of the things that you think are important of uh, like some of the things, tools, whatever that that franchise, what does the franchisee need to do to ensure that that GM and they have a successful relationship? Well, they need to they need to buy in and believe in their GM. You can't you can't put somebody in that place and then make decisions for them because it's pointless to have them and you're going to they're going to lose buy in. Outside of that, you need to rely on what your GM feeds back to you. If your GM comes back and say, "Hey, this sales guy's not doing good. His numbers are low. We need to make a move." You need to listen to them because the longer you wait on stuff like that, the more damage it does to your company and the further you're going to have to dig out from. So you need to really pay attention to that type of stuff and look at the day-to-day. If there's an installer that's a problem, you need to make a move. You know, I know it can be painful, uh, and we went down that road on a couple big moves, and it was painful. But you know what? <clears throat> Sometimes it's just not the right fit, and you need to find the person that is. So why, why wait? You know, by waiting, you're doing two things. You're hurting your company, and you're, you're hurting that person because you're not giving them the opportunity to get out there and find the correct fit. Right. Yeah. Right. And and in doing that, you, you're if you don't have that trust, basically, is what it comes down to. Done. You're going to slow down your speed of at the rate of what your business is going to grow. A hundred percent. Yeah. Good. That's great. I like to think about it when you're when you're in that position. 
when you watch sports, there's teams, right? Yeah. And then there's trades. There's people, their contract runs out or they get traded. And it's, you know, there's a saying that our coaches say, it's like, you know, invite them to be successful somewhere else. It's kind of a cute way of saying you're, you're fired. fired. Yeah. But if you think about it, if I'm not the right fit and somebody else is, I mean, that person's, ne- it's not like they're never going to work again. Yeah. It's a matter of like, but if they could actually go and be successful somewhere else, their skill set, whatever their aspirations are, how awesome is that? Rather than them being here, not doing a great job and probably not even, you know, being happy, um, moving them to another team, allowing us to be able to grab somebody else. I just, I think it's so powerful. And I think people just wait way too long because it is scary. I lose so much sleep over if I've got to let somebody go. It's been a long time. So it's been great that I haven't had to do that. But man, it's just so painful. And you think of everything and you question yourself as a leader. Well, did I give them enough? Is it me? Is it that, you know, and then you might have somebody for six months or a year too long, or God forbid, years, because you just don't do that conversation. Meanwhile, almost every time we finally did it, it seems that they've gone on and they're successful somewhere else. It's not, you know, as much as they might have thought this was the greatest job in the world, they're having success somewhere else. I know we probably went a little bit over today, but I'd love to hear about this new exciting position of executive director. What is it? What are you doing? And what do you want to accomplish? That's a lot. Um, In 20 seconds or less. 20 seconds or less. (laughs) I want to make things great. Thank you. Good night. (laughs) Um, no, so for me, it, it's about getting, finally getting my hands in on the franchise side. I've been involved in it for a while. You know, you've been very gracious to bring me in on a lot of stuff on that side. So I've seen a lot of it already and been through a lot of it, but I want to see it grow. I want to, I want to do what we can. So right now what we're looking into is just different, different avenues to make the franchise or more efficient, you know, um, from marketing to call center to systems. So we're really, right now we're taking a deep dive on a lot of different systems, uh, working with a killer team with Brandon and uh, Mackenzie, Gabby, Karen, Kevin. So everybody's been really great about really taking a good look inward at yeah. what they're doing. And this is, we're kind of, we're reevaluating right now. Yeah. And uh, it's huge. I mean, there's a lot of balls in the air right now and uh, that can be a little stressful. But we're sorting it all out now, prioritizing stuff, and we're really looking to to just make this machine that much more tight and really get it to the point where the efficiencies, it, it'd be tough to get any more efficient than what we're doing at that time. Yeah. No, it's exciting. I'm so excited for this year. There's just been so many things that we've just wanted to get across the finish line that we just haven't been able to. Yeah. Right? Just certain technology integration, certain vision. You know, we are, we're never happy. I mean... We're never, I mean, we're happy. We're having great success and, and there's a lot of really cool things, but it's not like we want to sit there very long. No, no. And, and I mean, to me, that's part of it. You'll, you'll get to a certain point with something. You're like, all right, this is great for now. So that allows you the ability to take your, not take your focus off of it, but shift your focus slightly over here to fix something over here. You may still have to come back here and make an adjustment or make a change, but the whole concept is to, to start knocking them off as quick as possible properly and make sure we get the right technology in there and make it better for everybody. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, yeah, we're all in different locations, but this is one big family. So I want to see all of them, you know, everybody grow to the next level. Absolutely.
And that's how I view business. Business is like this mountain that you're continually climbing. And, you know, what, what happens to people in business when they stop growing, they, they, they're hanging out on the cliff of complacency for too long. Yeah. And then somebody else can pass you by. And uh, that's what's interesting about, you know, um, what we were talking about earlier with uh, self-education. If you have a team that is constantly learning and, and self-educating to become better, even though you don't have maybe major glaring problems, but you could continue to tweak things because everything's always changing. And that's what's awesome about business and why I think you love it so much because you're always looking to change yourself. And uh, being in an environment where, like a business environment, even with a gutter company and uh, a franchise, there's it's just endless. And uh, to get people to see that and buy into that kind of uh, a model of and way of doing business, you're always innovating and you're always moving the needle. Always, There's always new technology. There's always new ways to market. There's always new ways to learn. There's always new ways to do things in operations and sales and uh, just little things here and there that can just move that needle a little further, I think is something that is great that you bring to the table. And, um, and, and that's what I love about working on these. So out of all the projects and things that are going on in your new role, what is something that, uh, a initiative that's maybe not too top secret that you could share? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Let's get the file. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're looking at multiple things. We're working, uh, looking at, uh, companies right now that handle smart routing to help with the, the call center in, and getting the schedules tighter for the solutions out there, less window time, have it make more sense. So and that's pretty high on the radar right now. So if you're listening, we're looking for that. You know, yep. Anybody? <laughs> um, the other thing we're working on is uh, some business AI stuff, uh, basically things to give us a broad overview of how people are doing so we can you know, flag stuff very quickly, if there is an issue, we can spot the issue. You mean and BI, business intelligence. BI. <laughs> Sorry. AI is coming. We're yeah. using it already. It's pretty amazing. Um, so, yeah, that, that's another thing that's pretty high on the radar right now, too. Uh, we have some other stuff we're working on as well that's not quite as far along. Uh, I don't want to jump into those too much. Those are the two that are kind of at the top of the charts right now. Yeah. Nice. So, all right. So, we're going to close this thing up. Um, I just think it's incredible, your journey that you started look, working for the local corporately owned business as a salesperson, a solutionist. You worked up to general manager. You worked, I mean, you worked up to sales manager, general manager. Then you were like this weird franchise liaison where you were, <laughs> you know, we were, you know, he was getting the bulk of his paycheck from the Hudson Valley location. And then we were giving him a stipend monthly because he just was so helpful to so many people, but we didn't have a position. It was like, I don't know, ask Danny. He just loves to get involved in things. Um, and now, You've moved over, and you are literally in the highest position in the franchise. So it's Ken and myself, Danny Horbachuk, executive director. Then you have all the other directors and so on. I just think it's incredible your journey, but I, I can't help but this just goes to our heart. Our heart is opportunity. And every time you moved up, so did somebody else. So when you went from solutionist to sales manager... You know, we we're, we had to hire another solutionist, so somebody else was welcomed into the company. When you moved out of the sales manager role, Mario moved into it, and he was able to grow. And you you had great sacrifice. Person, you actually lost money that you could have made because you saw something for him, but you also saw something for you. And most people out there would never do that. They're like, nope, this is mine. And so many people get stuck. You could still be a solutionist because if you're like, nope, this is mine, this is mine you would still be a solutionist, but you had the foresight. 
Then you going into general manager, Mario's the, you know, the manager there. You going from general manager, right, to executive director, that moved Mike over. He used to work for the franchise. It's a whole nother podcast we can do. But he moved into operations manager and then general manager. And now it's just crazy. We could just keep going. But every time somebody moves up, there creates a vacancy and an opportunity for somebody else because your previous position is a higher position for somebody else. Yeah. I love that. I love promoting from within. We do that as much as possible. We've had some outside hires as we've grown, uh, which are amazing and they're great people. But there is something about seeing somebody be able to grow internally and you have just been the epitome of that. No, it's it's been great. <clears throat> we've been able to move a lot of people around into you know what we call finding the, the right seat on the bus. <clears throat> and it's it goes back to what I said earlier. It's rewarding for me. You know, 10 years ago, the position I was in where I think a lot of people, they get stuck. I wasn't really worried about who was filling that position behind me. You're, you're focused on yourself till you can get to a certain point of growth where you're now you're seeing more for other people. And the last few moves have been that for me. You know, like I've been just as excited to to get those people going to the point where <clears throat> there's been times when I've been homeless essentially here at the office. You know, I've moved people into my roles as quickly as possible to get them up and running. And I found myself not ready for the next role, next role not created yet. And, you know, they, they laugh and I'm the guy that's kind of wandering around the building aimless. Yeah. And I don't have nowhere to go. Hey, and this is my office now because I've been kicked out of my previous office because we've grown. I'm like, you know what? All right. I'll. I was kicked out of this one at one point too. Yeah. And then we converted <laughs> into a studio. And I haven't had an office for like, I don't know. Eight years? Yeah, I, t yeah. I took your last office. <laughs> yeah. So it's been absolutely amazing. It's been a pleasure working with you, seeing your growth um, and how much you've contributed to the company. I think Ken wants to have the last word. I, I do, because one of the things that I think that we didn't uh, capture that I think is important, because, you know, we could talk all about business, 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 but how is this whole evolution that you've gone through in business, um, how has that been... Uh, as far as affecting you and your personal life. Because that's why we do this, right? We all work because we want something. We want something more for our family and, and everything. How has this impacted that? Night and day. Um, like I said earlier, my daughter mentioned a while ago about how different I was. And, and I reached out to Ryan recently. Uh, my oldest daughter suffers from anxiety and has some issues with that. And it, one day it just hit me like a light a light switch. I'm like, what does Ryan always say when he's walking around the office? And she's like, best day ever. I'm like, have the best day ever. And literally that, that afternoon I get a text from her coming out of school where, you know, she suffers some anxiety there with different things she struggles with. And she writes to me, she goes, I had the best day ever. And it's kind of become a catchphrase within the house now. We say it all the time. And it's, you know, it's really about creating your own weather, you know, and, and that's another thing we talk about all the time. Like, hey, I know you're having a tough time, but you create your own weather, you know. So it really, that's been, that's been huge at home for the family. Outside of that, just the whole ability to, to be able to have time to separate work and family and step away and know that there's, there's a team here that does everything. It's not just you. Mm. You know, in past positions, it was like, if things were burning, I knew I had to run to the fire and put it out alone. That's not the case here. So that alone has lifted a huge weight off. I'm not going to say there's, there's never any stress. There's always stress in everything. But the level of stress has dropped dramatically, and the quality of life has skyrocketed, absolutely skyrocketed. And that's thanks to the systems that you guys put in place. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank we appreciate you. you being on Grow With The Bros. 
And you are the epitome of growing with the bros. Thank you. Thanks.